That um yeah, somebody was pulling this up last night. The battle for the fourth spot in the Metro is kind of lit right now. Hmm. Because Chicago has thirty seven, Columbus has thirty four, Nashville has thirty three, and Dallas has thirty, but they still have four games in hand on everyone else. Yeah, that one's gonna be interesting, especially like Nashville could like really fuck up the trade deadline because everyone's looking at their pieces. But if they, for like whatever reason, like, decide yeah. that they want to compete, even though that would be an awful decision on their part, that'd be a really bad decision. Yes, because they have like actually good. Like you're not going to make a lot of revenue making the playoffs this year. Break it up and sell it while you have a chance. Don't get stuck in the mediocrity loop. Well, I was actually this morning. I actually read. Um, Dom Waddell's interview with Sarah Sivian and it was it was interesting because he was basically like you know yeah a lot of teams like they'll trade for a guy at the deadline thinking like oh if we just make the playoffs we'll make that money back but now this year like that may not be the case like with the fans thing and like so you're probably not like going out and adding a bunch of salary unless like you think you're gonna win the cup yeah I was reading that too I was interesting that like his top option is a right-handed defenseman yeah I I guess it's just every time ever like that. I'm not be surprised, fun. really. I mean, yes, yeah, it, it, it fits because this is always. I think people, they've been very disappointed with Flurry. Like he's not as good as I honestly like. I thought he would be better going into this year after the way he played in there the was bubble. Reason to he think really that. hasn't been. Like there was reason to think that though. Like he played so well in the bubble. No, no, I, he yeah. didn't. I wrote a feature on him in the Boston series. He was playing great, but yeah. you know what, guys? Let's use this on the podcast. I'm already recording, baby. <laughs> <Are you? laughs> I'm already recording. You never know when the when the podcast is going to start. The hot uh, mic, Brett. You gotta let the, the pod, You gotta Speak, let the podcast we, come to you. We'll talk about the hot mic as well. Um, this is the Canes Country Podcast. My name is Brett Finger. I'm joined by Ryan Hinkle and Andrew Schnicker, per usual. There's kind of a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, the The past week has been an absolute slog fest of hockey between the Hurricanes and the Blue Jackets. It's it's one of the most uh, frustrating teams in hockey to play for several hundred different reasons. Before we get to that, though, uh, how are you guys doing? Doing well. Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Let's just talk about the last week of Hurricane hockey before we get to some other stuff. Hurricanes had to play the Columbus Blue Jackets four times. Thoughts and prayers. Columbus has very quickly become maybe the most annoying team in the league. One of the most annoying teams in the league. Especially when you play them nonstop for a week. That That's just... You know, the Tampa... Like, who would you rather watch the Hurricanes play for a week straight? The Columbus Blue Jackets or the Tampa Bay Lightning? Tampa Tam- Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay. I don't have to watch Tampa Bay like clog up the neutral zone and make me want to put ice picks in my eyeballs halfway through the second period. It's just it's something about the Blue Jackets because the Hurricanes uh, are pretty uh, obviously the better team of the two, and you know the, the Hurricanes got. Let's see, they got six out of a possible eight points this week against Columbus. So there you go. But I mean, man, it's just it's just something about them. They they clog up the neutral zone. They 
they score goals when you really wish they wouldn't score a goal and you're like, can this game please it end? And they refuse to just die. <laughs> a pair of or three of these games went to overtime. Two of them were won by Columbus. Uh, Dougie Hamilton very easily could have won the game twice uh, in the second game in the shootout loss because he scored in overtime, but Andrei Svechnikov was a quarter inch off sides, and then he scored in shootout, and then Columbus tied it at the bottom of the third round before winning in shootout. Yeah, that game was like even <laughs> that first game. It's like, or I guess the second one, technically first one of the week that we're going to talk about. It's like the Canes take the lead with like less than five minutes to go. They're like, wow, they finally broke through that Columbus. And it's like, they're looking good. <laughs> and with like 50 some seconds left, Seth Jones just corner snipes it to send it to overtime. For no that, reason. Like, what is he doing? Just come on, man. That, that game was just so bizarre. There, I mean, there was just so many things that like happened in that game. I remember... Um, there was a lot of sports going on that weekend. There was basketball. There was, I think my dad was downstairs watching NCAA wrestling and I was upstairs watching the game and I went down and I was like, Oh, did you see what happened? He was like, yeah, I saw them. I saw they lost in the shootout. I was like, Oh no, no, no. You didn't see what happened. (laughs) (laughs) I have some things to tell you about It, it. Yeah, it was, um, Certainly one of the more bizarre games I've seen just in terms of everything that happened. It, it's funny, too, because, like, it went from, like, especially in the second period, like, that was probably one of the more, like, boring games in terms of, like, Columbus mucking up the neutral zone. And, like, this Columbus team is almost like if the New Jersey Devils actually had a handful of good players, like, the way they mm-hmm. play. Um, but... Yeah, no, it, it, that game went from being a you know total snooze fest to like, what on earth is happening for the last five minutes of regulation onward? Yeah, that that clogging up the neutral zone style. It's like there's always seems to be at least one team every year playing that style. You know, you think back to like over a decade ago, the New Jersey Devils obviously were the biggest proponents of that with Martin Brodeur in net. And then you had probably the National Predators back when Barry Trotz used to coach them. Yeah. And then uh, it's probably, like, I think, like five, six years ago, the St. Louis Blues played that style as well. And then you have now the Islanders who play a very similar way. Now, obviously, the Columbus some Blue Jackets. Guy Boucher erasure here. I guess you go back even farther. The original trap. He's a, he's a king in that regard. <laughs> terrible teams playing trap uh and just making games unwatchable luckily columbus isn't as bad um but if john tortorella had his way he'd probably want it to be as bad it's so weird that to see a team like columbus playing that style because you have like seth jones zach Wierenski, patrick line uh cam atkinson oliver bjorkstrand you have all these like really good offensive dynamo players and you're like mm-hmm. no we're playing trap and counter that's it yeah that's what makes Columbus, I think, a little more bearable to watch than some of those other teams that we talked about because they still have like guys who can make make those plays and make some exciting things happen. So you get those like flashes of things actually happening amidst the. Yeah, so. It also makes it when you have a one goal lead of like a minute or two to go, they can just send it all at you. Right. It's never, well, yeah, it's it's never it's enough late in the game. Fogel can't hit empty nets, you know. Then sometimes uh, that. Yeah. Can, 
to. Well, we'll get to that one. Do we have to? I mean, my goodness. I mean, hey, I mean, at least that one ended fine. <laughs> on a positive note. Yeah, it, it didn't take until like the end of overtime or shootout. Imagine the conversation we're having if they lose that game in overtime oh, last night. God. I, I've tweeted it out so often that like it just feels like every game that the Hurricanes and Blue Jackets play, it feels cursed. There's and something. The games there's feel some kind of controversy. Like it, it's, it's always something. Off. It can't just be an NHL hockey game. It has to be controversy and and all this shit going on, and you just can't escape it, no matter how hard you try. They only play the Blue Jackets one more time, and I think it's in like May. So thank God. Now here's the thing: you're you're competing for first in the division. It's like, oh, you don't want to play florida or whoever in the first round i would rather play florida now than play columbus and get first in the division and have to play columbus in the playoff series if they're in fourth place that is how that is how much i hate watching those games we we talked before we actually started the recording the episode about um the race for fourth in the division which is like it, it's it's kind of wild right now. I mean, there's a chance for Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, or um, Nationals to get it. I mean, like, I, I think I would rather, like, from a Hurricanes perspective, you'd rather play um, any of the other three in the first round than Florida. But, yeah, because Columbus, too. I mean, remember, like, they beat that President's Trophy Tampa Bay team in the first round a couple of years ago, like, that's a dangerous team, I think, that you would not want to face in the playoffs. Just because it get, part of the reason, too, is I think, you know, with, with them clogging up the neutral zone and mucking everything up and it being so hard to score, like, it's so random. Like, those games get so tight, you get to the end of the game and it's tight and it's close and they have guys that can make a play, and, you know, end the game. So I think that, that that's, that's not – it's weird to say this because I think what are the Hurricanes now maybe – four one and two against the blue jackets this year but um that's definitely not a matchup that i love for them i mean to be fair for that old uh blue jackets team they did have panarin duchene and Bobrovsky. oh yeah, and, yeah. Uh, pierre luc dubois but i i get what you're saying with like the trap system it's just like one of those teams it's like if they just like get like a hot goaltender like merzlikens with his glove on natchez that one game like uh it just it could spell disaster. Something that also happened over the past week um, is Florida is kind of falling off. They've lost three straight games. The Hurricanes have a game in hand on them, and they're up by three points and two wins in in that race. So if Florida continues to kind of tail off here, it's really a Carolina-Tampa race at the top of the division. Um, they lost uh, Sasha Barkov. Yeah. Day to day. Mm-hmm. And that's it seems like it's all the wheels are falling off when Sasha Barkov went down. Yeah. And the Hurricanes are three points back at Tampa, but they do have a game in hand. That's interesting. If if Florida's starting to tail off a little bit, they've lost three three straight games. The Hurricanes lost three straight games, but they've come back and they've they've won two straight and I think two of those three losses were in overtime or shootout so they yeah. were they were constantly getting points yeah so those didn't like if you looked after those games those didn't hurt them too much in the yeah. standings because you're still getting a point and i think 
at least one of those coincided with a Florida loss too. So yeah, no, they, I think two of them probably did. Yeah, yeah. Florida's lost three straight, and all of them are in regulation, or maybe just one of them did. Yeah, I think you're right. What's well, funny, like if you look at um, like you look at this, you know, you look at oh, sh- you know, oh shit, we lost two straight in overtime, and like it was, I think, a bad feeling after those first two games against Columbus, but the Hurricanes end up getting points in all four games get six out of a possible eight points and i mean if you look at it i think they've gotten points in all but one of their last 10 yeah more well that's just the last 10 it could be uh, it's probably longer well and it definitely is longer than that because they had it was the eight game winning you had the eight game winning streak overtime loss so it's 12 out of the last 13 they've gotten at least a pretty great yeah (laughs) They're 10, one, one and two. two in their last 13, which is actually uh, it's it that's Dougie Hamilton's 13 game point streak. Oh, there you go. There it is. Franchise record. Yeah. Franchise record. For some, a defense. At some point, he became Mark Howe in the 919 area code. That's not my joke. <laughs> I believe that's Sarah Sivian's joke. That's not my joke. I wish it was my joke because that is funny. Because he, he, uh, he tied and broke Mark Howe's uh, record for point streak by a defenseman. And Sarah Sipian said somehow he became the Mark Howe in the 919 area code, which is a really good, really good joke. So, yeah, Dougie extended his point streak to 13 games. And Martin Natchez, meanwhile, since the start of March, 12 games, he has 13 points, uh, five of them being goals. He had another... He had two-point night last night, and that included the pretty spectacular wraparound goal that he scored in regulation, and then the assist on Sebastian Ajo's overtime winner. Meanwhile, you know, Nature's been great. Uh, definitely not by coincidence, Sebastian Ajo has also been great over uh, the last little stretch since Trocek has gotten hurt, he's really stepped up in terms of producing. Going back since also the start of the month, he has 14 points in 12 games. Eight goals in that span. He has eight goals over his last 11 games. All of this is happening to still without Trocek and still without Teravainen. Yeah, no, I think that um, it's it's funny. You know, I asked Rod Brindamore about this. It's like that that line of... Aho, Natchez, and Niederreiter has pretty much been put together out of necessity with guys like Trocek and Teravine and out. But it's been really, really good. I mean, we've always, I think we always knew that Aho and Natchez were good together. We've seen them in certain situations like overtime and four on four and maybe wanted to see a little bit more. And I think that Niederreiter is a really good complement to them with the game that he plays, kind of similar to when he played with Aho and Teravine. And I mean, it's not. Yeah. Natchez and Teravainen are by no means the same player, but I think there's some similarities between like an Aho Teravainen combination and an Aho Natchez combination. Again, not the same. There are things that Natchez do, does that Teravainen can't do, and things that Teravainen does that Natchez can't do. But um, yeah, it's it's been really fun to watch. I kind of feel like people are forgetting how good Tabo Teravainen is to an extent, because yeah. Natchez has replaced his production. And he's been so good, and he's really developing into entering last year. It was like maybe Natchez can be a guy. Like you felt pretty good about it, but you weren't sure 
and fast forward, gosh, what is it? Like a full season worth of NHL regular season games. And now you're like, oh yeah, he's definitely a guy. Like he's not just like a, a like a middle six guy anymore. Like you're like, okay, what is his ceiling? And is it higher than even the most optimistic people would have expected? Because it's hard to watch him play now and not think about, you know, what the ceiling is on him because he's just been so good. Like he's making game breaking game changing plays, like almost on a nightly basis. You're seeing all of the talent there. And, and, and on top of that, you're seeing how his overall game is developing. I mean, he's still playing penalty kill. He's still making these defensive plays. I mean, even on the game winner last night, he broke up a pass in the Columbus zone. He forced a turnover to create that goal. Like, he, he's really – it's pretty amazing to see what he's doing, and he's getting a bigger role uh, on the team as of late as well. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy to see him grow. Yeah, but it was my exact thoughts when I was pretty much coming into this season. I was for watching Natchez. It was like he has all the tools. As like was the question was, can he put them together? Can his hands work at like the same speed as his feet? Like we all knew his skating and feet were amazing. And it was really like, can the playmaking keep up with his feet? And you know, more to your point about like the defensive plays, it's like. It's kind of amazing because if you're going to play Carolina Hurricanes, you're going to back check and you're going to play some defense or you're not playing. And it's like Brendan Moore is developing these young players to like not only be like the superstars offensively that like everyone is expecting of them, but now they're defensively responsible too, which makes like dual threat players. It's it's really something amazing to watch like someone like Natchez's development. I thought it was. I thought he had an interesting answer, Ryan, last night when you asked him about Martin H. Is basically saying like that. You know, they knew he had this um, this speed and skill that you can't teach, and it was a matter of getting the confidence to make the plays. Which I, you know, I talked to them a little bit about too. But um, talking about what needed to happen was teaching him the other stuff so that they could play him as much as possible. And I think you're seeing that now. The other interesting thing about Natchez, um, if you so if you look at that, the Hurricanes drafted Martin Natchez twelfth overall in the 2017. 2017 entry draft. If you look at the board, I don't think there's anybody after him, and there's probably two players ahead of him that were that were drafted ahead of him in that first round that I would definitively say right now, based on their career to this point, I, w- I would rather have than Martin Natchez. Kale McCarr and Elias Pettersson. I mean, that's it. Other than, I, I mean, I think, you know, there's still time on a lot of these guys for them to develop more, but I think right now getting Martin Natchez at 12 in that draft looks like a steal and a home run. Yeah, I think you can say uh, maybe Miro Heiskanen. Yeah, that's... Um, outside of that, I mean, like even those top two with Nico Hushier and Nolan Patrick, like they haven't uh, been great. Like, I mean, I Nolan Patrick hasn't been healthy at all. I mean, I'd take Natchez over Patrick in a heartbeat. Yeah. And like he going into the draft, he was supposed to be the number one and probably would have been had he not had the health concerns, but like 
uh, Hishe was, it, it wasn't until like pretty soon before the draft that Hishe kind of took over the number one spot. Like it was definitely a toss up, but Hishe's definitely been really good. Um, I'd probably still take Hishe over. That's, it's tough now watching yeah. him recently. Like if you have asked me like a month ago, I've been like, yeah, I'll take Hishe. But Natchez has like played like a star caliber player. And now the question is whether or not he can sustain that. And, you know, you don't expect him to sustain the level of production he's had. He's going to go through the ups and downs that every NHL player does, except for like Crosby and whoever, McDavid. Well, it's funny too, because I can, I was at, I was actually at that NHL draft for, um, that was back when I was covering the Canes for technician. Uh, Brian and Peter were, Peter Dewar mm-hmm. were there too for Canes country, but I can remember. A lot of people wanted the hurricane. It was funny because, like, that was kind of back during the dark days of the hurricanes. A lot of people wanted the hurricanes to trade that pick for Matt Duchesne. I can even remember, like, before they made the pick, there was a moment. Um, Peter and I were sitting next to each other, and there was a moment where Gary Bettman like walked past the podium, and we were like eyeball emojis. But um, <laughs> it, it's just funny to me how all of that ended up turning out. God, Matt Duchesne. So speaking of trades, I mean, we we kind of talked about this earlier, but uh, Don Waddell, uh, this is from The Athletic, Sarah Sivian talked with Hurricanes general manager Don Waddell ahead of the deadline, trade deadline, which is next month. And perhaps the most interesting part from all that is what when she asked him what they're looking for at the deadline, he said, number one, a right-handed defenseman. You can never have enough defensemen. That has been made very clear. Even when you think there's too many, you don't have enough. The Carolina Hurricanes are bound and determined to test that theory. They will do it at every turn. (laughs) They will take it as a challenge if you say that they have enough defense. They, they will take that. Don Waddell will take that as a challenge. He'll put his turtleneck on and he'll trade for another defenseman. And that's probably what they're going to do before the deadline. It seems pretty likely at this point they're going to try to get a right-handed defenseman. Who that will be, who the hell knows? Who knows? But a right-handed defenseman for the third pairing. Uh, Jake Gardner's health obviously plays a role in this, even though he's not a right-handed defenseman. That's a defenseman on the lineup. What what are you looking for if if you're the Hurricanes and you have a third pairing of Bean and Flurry right now? What are you looking for in a right-handed defenseman entering or going up to the trade deadline? It it's kind of strange because like you look at possibly them playing with Bean and you're like, oh, they want like a solid, steady, dependable defensive guy. But I also really think that. Watching the Hurricanes without Jake Gardner, if he's going to continue to be out, they miss his puck moving up the ice in transition a lot. They miss his ability to hold the zone on the power play, I think. There's a lot of those elements that Jake Gardner brings um, that are being missed right now. So, you know, I could see them going either way. I could see them going for a steady, solid shutdown guy to play with Bean, or I could see them going with, you know, a guy who can move the puck up the ice in a little bit more of a Jake Gardner role mold. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what exactly they end up getting. I mean, 
if you take a look though, like the right-handed defense market, it's it's kind of very very not great. You have obviously Savard is like the top option that everyone's been talking about, but the, he's going to be priced outside of what the Canes are willing to pay for a third pairing guy. Like there's nobody on the market that's going to be better than Pesci and Hamilton, hands down, no way in hell. So like the other options, you have uh, Brandon Montour in Buffalo, Colin Miller in Buffalo. Again. I'm not excited about either of them. Uh, you have Travis Hamanick in Vancouver. Uh, you have Eric Goodbranson in Ottawa. Ilya no. Labushkin from Arizona. Like, there's like that's really like the options of like the teams that aren't in a playoff race. Like, it's it's so the right-handed defense market's so bad right now. Like, unless they're gonna make a hockey deal, like 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 someone like Matt Roy from like LA or Josh Manson from like Anaheim. Like, it's such a bad market right now. The New Jersey Devils probably aren't making the playoffs, right? Yeah. <laughs> they have a guy. <laughs> About to, no. Not a guy. Oh, they, God, they, no. They stop have it. a right-handed defenseman. For the love of God, um, stop it. <laughs> please, please, no. I, I don't need I had this. enough of Sammy Votnin seven need, playoff games. I've, Sammy Votnin played seven seconds for the Hurricanes, and I saw what everything I needed to see in those seven seconds. I'm good. I'm 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 good. He shoots the puck hard, and outside of that, I'm not. Sh- <laughs> he loved taking slap shots, man. He could. He, he, sh- he shoots that puck real hard. Uh, he took. He took like four shots, and all of them were just howitzers. They didn't go in, but I mean, they were wicked. Sammy Vaughn does a lot of upper body work, but I don't think he does that much lower body work. Yeah. And all right, so does, we can. I mean, his it it seemed pretty apparent that his lower body just didn't really work. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but keep in mind, there were reports over the summer that we we were confused about that Dom Waddell wanted to re-sign Sammy Vatanen. Like, I'm not saying it's a good idea. But it could happen. The more I think about it, I'm not ruling it out, though. Again, I am not in any way, shape, or form... The Canes Country podcast does not endorse the reacquisition of Sammy Vatnin, but I could see it happening. That's the sad part is I could also see it happening. Like Hayden Flurry has not been good past like month while Jake Garner's been out. Like he's been like this like the the guy they've put there at the right side with Jake Bean. But I still think he'd probably be better than Sammy Vatnin. Yeah. Especially in yeah, terms think- of fit. Like you're gonna put Vatnin next to Bean. Oh my like god! What? That like would... what? No, <laughs> of course not. Hide every, hide your eyes. Good. Rod Brindamore would play that pairing negative four minutes a game. Yeah, and and like, he already does that with Flurry and Bean. Yeah. So, like the fact that Bean is like who he is now, I I, I don't want to rule it out. Maybe I'm just wishful thinking here. But no way. Like, they, they, no, not Vatanen. No. Right? No, like, I just, I can't. They're smarter than that. I can't see Rod Brindamore being okay with that either. Because last year they didn't have Dougie, and, like, it was, like, okay. Like, you didn't have Dougie or Brad Pesci. They were very much, and that was obviously before the pandemic shut things down. Like, they thought they were going to need Vatanen to, like, and he didn't end up playing before the shutdown either because he was hurt when they got him but um they thought he'd be back ready they thought they were going to need him to at least like 
close out the regular season until Dougie could maybe come back for the playoffs. So yeah, they were pretty, yeah. they were pretty desperate for that like right shot puck moving power play defenseman. What are the the, the big trade boards saying? Like who? Like are those the players that are available right now among right-handed defensemen? Yeah, like, like the the only thing the trade boards are saying is like Montour is Savard, but like those are like the only two staples on like trade board. And Good Brands and I saw a few times on other boards, but the other ones were just ones I was looking through like rosters. No thanks on Good Branson either. He's not oh, good. No, he's not good. Like he's just a big guy, so like. You got guys like Brian Burke being like, "Oh, he's big and physical. We gotta get him." He's uh, <laughs> he's he's truculent. I mean, he's if... about as mobile as a truck too. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good one. That's <laughs> good. Um, well done. Good Branson's like that cargo ship in the Suez Canal. Just <laughs> stuck and can't turn around. If you know, there's another name that I. This is in. This is a totally different area, and I don't think it's even possible given the cap. I, I, in fact, I know it's not possible given the cap, but what if? What if they What if they know Dougie Hamilton's a no-go? He's not coming back, and they trade for Matt Dumba because he's been rumored. Matt Dumba's very good. He is very good. And I think he's a good person too. It would be it would be cool to have him here, but like you said, I I don't think there's a way to make that work. The interesting thing would be like if you made that if you could make that work with the cap in this season, because Dumba's under contract, right? He's under contract for two more years after next year. This would be a long term play, similar to what they did with Brady Shea. And he's but he's at like six million or so, right? Yeah, he's at like what half a million more than, or not even. I mean, Shea gets like what five point seven or something. Right, but like the thing is, like, if you know Dougie Hamilton's gone, which I don't think to be for the record, I don't think they do. This is hypothetical. I, I think that they still very much want to work things out with Dougie Hamilton, and nothing that's been said or indicated uh, disproves that. But if he were to be gone, and you're backfilling that spot with a player in Matt Dumba who's going to make less than Dougie Hamilton would end up getting that, that would be a pretty sharp move on the hurricanes part. Again, like you said, with the cap in this season to have both of them, I don't think it works, but that would, yeah, that that would be playing some 3d chess on Dom Waddell's part. On that kind of note, there was a little bit of news. Uh, Waddell said that the team and Dougie have tabled contract talks until the end of the season. So there will be no news coming on that front at all. Obviously, Don Waddell says he wants a right-hand defenseman, but like I'm still on the I'm still on team replacement top nine forward for injuries. Like I'm still that's still both? where I'm looking. It's you know again the Canes have you know they can move out like they can give her like their first or second this year if they really want to because like drafted like everyone's saying that this isn't going to be a great year for drafting yeah. guys, so that can easily be a weaponized thing um you know you have a lot of prospects there's so many that are probably not gonna eventually make the cut the team has a lot of youth right now in actual nhl positions playing at the nhl level so i mean there's a lot of canes have a lot of pieces they can use if they want to make a push like the deadline i think like a top nine forward like obviously we've talked about Eastall. i mean michael granlin would be interesting 
but like even like if you wanted to look at just like like cheaper rentalish players like you can look at like alex iofalo or ryan donato like not like name breaking names but like they could play wing or center and they you know can help produce and so i think it's just like good like rental pieces to have that are going to be like cheap I think one of the things if you're looking at a top nine forward that you really ideally want is you want a guy who can play wing or center with Trocek banged up right now and, you know, some uncertainty there. I think that's – it's not like if you end up, if, if a wing is your best option, then, you know, add a wing. But I, I think ideally having a guy who could also play center would be good for them to do. And there's a number of like interesting names that have been floated around as forwards. Um, and again, if we if we go back to the off season, the Hurricanes were very much rumored to be in on Grandland before he went back to Nashville. It was at one point it was like Columbus, Carolina, I think was the report from Andy Strickland. Yeah. So. And that's not surprising because he is quite literally the type of player that the Hurricanes look for in in free agency and in in trades. Like he is, he's a pretty prototype Hurricanes addition. I like him a lot as a potential pickup, just like I did um, when we talked about the potential of signing him as a free agent. And I think because for one thing, I think he's a guy that you can he's kind of a like a swiss army knife chess piece type like he there's roles he could fill like he could play center for you right now with trojek out he could play the wing if trojek's out and terrifying and comes back when everyone's healthy i think there's a good fit for him if rod wants to keep balancing out the lines and you go nino trojek natchez um potentially and you if you keep svechnikov with stalin fast which i admittedly don't love but if you're going to do that then i think grandland is potentially a good fit as that third piece with the fins and you avoid having to play like a brock mcginn or jordan martinuk up there in that situation um Mm. which i'm not gonna i don't think i need to say anything else about that but um yeah no i i think grandland would be i know everybody loves the whole eric stall thing and i mean to some extent, I get it, and I kind of do too. But I think Granlund would probably be my top target in terms of a. He's forward. definitely a better fit. Like, yeah. he's definitely like he's a better player, and he's a better fit. Hundred percent. I think isn't it crazy that we're almost at the trade deadline, and we're not even talking about a goaltender because of how damn good Alex Nedeljkovic is. Yes. We haven't. Even, we've been how far into this podcast, so we haven't even talked about Alex Nedeljkovic. So for the first time in his career, he got back-to-back starts. Uh, he got both games in Columbus. He allowed three goals over two games, and they won both games. Over his last nine starts, he is 7-1-1 one, one, with a 943 save percentage and two shutouts, could be three. Uh, one of those shutouts came in Columbus where he had a pretty quiet 19-save shutout in the first game in Columbus before the 4-3 overtime win. Uh, I think he made 36 saves or 33 saves, 33 on 36 saves on 36 shots. shots. So he, I mean, he, he was and really he good. Quiet. He, like no, 20 I mean, of those were like the first five minutes of the second period. Yeah, I feel like. yeah, yeah. He made, and in the third period too, like the breakaway glove save on Max, like he made huge, some ridiculous stops. Huge, I mean, Rod, saves. Rod Brindamore said it after the game that like he was, Nadalkovich was the reason they won. He let them hang around mm-hmm. and, you know, be in a position where, 
guys like Niederreiter and then Ajo and Natchez in overtime could make a couple plays and get them the two points. I mean, you, there's nights when you need that from your goalie, and it's like, you know, we've talked about, you know, do you know what are the Hurricanes missing? What's that goalie that can really go out there and make the big saves and steal a game for you? And the sample size is still small. Don't get me wrong, but like with every game passing game, it seems like now, like Nedeljkovic is proving that he may have the ability to be that guy for the Hurricanes. I mean, it like. Every game he plays, it, it gets harder to doubt him. I think. No, you're you're completely right. Um, it's it's unbelievable, really. Like you're waiting for him to have the bad game, and it's been how long now? It's been like a month, and it's like, okay, when's it happening? Is it happening yet? Like, you could debate that he's had like maybe one week start, and that was a what start the- was that? The first overtime loss to um, Columbus, I think maybe that was the that was the only game in this stretch that we're yeah, talking about. That, this yeah. nine game stretch that his save percentage was below nine hundred, and he he did, he was a little he gave he kind of spit out some rebounds in that game, and he um, that was the I think Seth Jones overtime winner game that you probably want that goal back if you're Alex Nedeljkovic, mm-hmm. but I mean. Like, he wasn't awful that night. Like, if that's your worst game in a nine-game stretch, you're doing okay. We talked about this last week, but it's like, it's not even that he's, like, barely outperforming uh, Reimer, and, like, he's just been pretty good. Like, he's been league-wide, like, really, really, really good. Right now, among goalies with 450 or more uh, unblocked shot attempts face, or Fenwick, he is sixth in the league in goal saved above expected behind Vasilevsky, Fleury, Demko, Grubauer, Hellebuck, and that's it. It's a pretty good company to keep. Yeah, that'll he that'll work. 7.18 goal saved above expected. Even if I mean even if you just look at like the main, you know, normal, he's four if you goalies that have made at least four five starts on the season, he's fourth in the NHL in save percentage on the whole season. Yeah. And that's with some, you know, maybe a couple shaky starts to start out when he hadn't played in a year. It was really just the first three starts. And then after that, I mean, it's just been totally lights out. I mean, like I said, he's 7 1 and 1 with a 943 since those first three starts. And he's absolutely, like, there's no two ways around it. He, he is making a very, very convincing statement right now that he is a future. It's, you know, it's still early. Like, is he a future starter or is he a future one, a one B with someone Uh, that's tough right now? Cause you don't really know. And just now he's made back-to-back starts, but the results were really good. And, And we'll see if they keep going to him. Like, will they go to him again tomorrow? Bryn, I don't know if his performance will change that. Brendan Moore actually said um, morning skate yesterday that they were giving him the back-to-back starts because they felt like he played well and with the two days off, like he was fresh and he was ready to go. But he even said then that morning before the game that they would probably go back to their rotation the next game, which I don't. 
like, um, especially for what's definitely your biggest game of the year to this point against Tampa on Saturday. I would feel much better with Nedeljkovic between the pipes for that one, but um, yeah. Rod Moore makes a lot more money than I do. That is true. He's going to make even more money after this year when he gets his <laughs> new contract. Let's let's go ahead and let's before we close it out. There's a, there's a league wide topic that's interesting and uh, Tim Peel. So we 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 all know about this Tim Peel fella. Right? Everybody loves Tim Peel. Obviously, everybody enjoys. Everybody likes Tim Peel. Huge candy. Nashville, Detroit. Uh, he gets caught on a hot mic and he says. Yeah, he he calls a penalty against Nashville, and it's like he said, it's not much, but you know, I really, really wanted to get Nashville. He he dropped an f bomb at some point in there. Whatever he says, he he is like, oh yeah, there's not much there, but you know, I called the penalty anyway because I really wanted to fucking get one on Nashville. He gets caught on a hot mic, and that's it. Okay, he's done. He's no longer officiating NHL games. He is he is a terrible, terrible official who. Uh, is uh, ruining our game, and he is the only referee in the league who is making these decisions based on uh, makeup calls and and wanting to call the game fairly, quote unquote. Uh, the NHL has once again saved the league with the their once again, <laughs> their proactive, you know, action. Really getting ahead of this one. I mean, this is ridiculous. I'm sorry. Like, I can't. I just. I cannot. Like, if you want to say that Tim Peel is not a great official, you will not get an argument out of me, right? Like, you will not get, you will not hear me say, no, we got to defend Tim Peel here. He's too good. He's one of the best. He is a questionable official. But this is not what this is about. Like, this is about him being caught on a hot mic saying something that I would wager money that a vast majority of officials are thinking about or having their thought process, this whole makeup call thing. Do you really think that, like, one official got caught the one time that they did that? Like, come on. And the other yeah. thing, too, is, like, it came out, um, I think Bob McKenzie said it. He's not even really, like, he's just not roughing games. He's still getting paid. He's still getting, and, like, I think Tim Peel was retiring at the end of the season anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't, they're really, it, it, you know, I, I think I tweeted this out the other night. It's, like, the NHL pulling one referee who got caught, and it's, like, the SpongeBob and Patrick meme, like we did it, we saved the city, and it's <laughs> and like everything's burning around. Everything's them, yeah. on. Like, come on, like you you have a referee get caught on a hot mic saying what everyone has kind of assumed and thought was going on for years, and you're like, yeah, no, it's fine. Like the thing is, like if if it, it came out too, it's like yo, you know, they don't really want anything changed. It's like okay, it's like. If, if you're admitting that this is the way you want games officiating, which it absolutely should not be, it should, this is not how it should be, why are you firing Peel anyway? Is it just hoping that people will, like, think you did something and, like, shut up about it and move on? Like, this was the very easy move for them to make. Like, it's very easy for them to just be like, okay, yeah, this guy got caught. Um, we gotta get rid of him, but... How could this happen? Oh my god. This is unacceptable. We have to do something. <laughs> the thing is, I think another part of this that I think is really important that maybe we're in most or some fans aren't considering 
gambling is very quickly becoming an important part of mainstream sports, right? Or it's becoming a mainstream part. It's always been a part of it to some degree. Now that games are being more openly bet on and it's becoming more of a thing, how like this kind of thing is a problem when yeah like i I think that's a really important part of it because you're you're catching a ref saying this on hot mic and it's like now that money is being openly and legally placed on these games you can't have that like that's it becomes it's, it's a whole different thing when the integrity of the sport is in jeopardy in terms of money when it's just like watching it and it's a fan just simply rooting for a win or loss with nothing else attached to it it's one thing but now that there's this whole new aspect that's being opened up and it's going to keep being more and more prevalent as time goes by like this is you know you, you can't and this is why you know when you're bringing in instant replay as well like you have to get it right because you're building another business around this in a mainstream business, at least, um, because gambling's always been a thing. But yeah, say so people have been finding yeah. gambling on hockey is not as prevalent. I don't think, for one thing, gambling on hockey is hard. Um, yes. Yeah. No. Like you said, it's becoming legal. I think even uh, Roy Cooper's made comments about it being legalized in North Carolina, in other states, in places like sports arenas have. There, that's exactly right what there. I was going to say. That's um, a, yeah. I think with this Bali sports thing that the Fox sports regional networks are switching to with like their app that they're going to have, there's eventually, I think there's going to be some sort of like interactive gambling feature for games. Like, no, it, it's going to be like, like you said, it's something that, you know, everybody's always kind of done and people have found a way to do, but with it being, out in the open and maybe even sanctioned, you know, by the league yes, in yeah. certain aspects. Yeah. You, you can't have, if people are betting money on your games and you're encouraged, you're even encouraging them to do so. You can't also have your officiating be a shit show in such a way that it's determined. It's changing the outcome of those games. Yeah. Like I, I remember we talked about this a few months ago and for all you faithful Kane's country podcast listeners, you'll obviously remember this. But we met, talked about how there had been – there was a personality who talked about this, that the refs are looking for calls. They're not calling the games they see it. They are actively looking to make a call against one team or the other. They've become game managers. They're no longer really officials anymore. They're game managers. They call stuff that's really egregious, usually. You know, we – there's <laughs> a lot of egregious stuff that goes uncalled. But usually they are forced to call stuff when it's really egregious. But for the most part, they are game managers. They are trying to, like, make it as even as possible. And, like, I saw moneypuck.com started doing this, where they, they now have a percentage on their game trackers. It's like, odds the next penalty is called against X team. And it's like, and it's been more accurate about predicting wins. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. They're game managers. They're not officials anymore. I fully believe that they're game managers. It's, 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 it's a joke, honestly. And that, that shouldn't be what you want. Like, you, you don't want somebody who's not playing, not that that's not what their role was ever intended to be or ever should be intended to be. And I, yeah, but I, I mean, I think, like, I think you're right. Like, I think it's like, oh, you know, next penalty's probably got to be on this team. It's like, well, 
no, like if they don't do anything that warrants a penalty and the other team does, like just call the game. Like just call mm-hmm. what's happening. If a team's losing three one and they're they are by far the least disciplined team, I don't care if you call seven penalties on them. I I want those penalties called. And I don't care if a team's winning four nothing and they like you know, if if it's a penalty, call the penalty. That's just how the sport works. And it's a problem when, you know, you're and Andrew, you made this point, and I think it's really important to to say it. Like, it's not just that these games are being bet on. They've always been bet on. But now the league is, you know, they're bringing gambling into the arenas. Like, that's, that's a thing that's going to start happening. Like, you're going to be able to easily bet on these games, and it's going to be encouraged by the league. And if you're, you cannot have these refs going out of their way to make games close like that is hugely like one it's just it's not good for the game but it's totally unethical and like any standpoint if these games are being bet on and you have refs looking to make it close like that is totally like (laughs) like that's like illegal like you can't do that when you have like a ref like tim peel getting caught basically saying that he's trying to keep it close to an extent if I make doing a makeup call from earlier in the game, like you cannot have that. So I get why they fired him from that perspective, um, from the, the, the gambling perspective. And that's why I wanted to bring it up. Cause I think that's probably the biggest reason for it. But from an on ice perspective, if you're trying to get rid of this, what does this, I don't think this accomplishes much because the mindset of these refs isn't going to change just because you fired Tim Peel. Like it has to be a huge overhaul in how these games are called. And it's not going to be a mindset change in mindset because you basically showed that like, yeah, you fired Tim Peel, but you don't really see an issue with officiating that way. Yeah. And the one other thing I want to see on the gambling too, like, I think it's a bigger deal. Like, if you're not, um, if you don't know a ton about gambling, I think it's a bigger deal than you realize because you don't have people just betting on like who wins and who loses. You've got spreads for hockey, mm-hmm. um, usually minus one and a half goals. You've got over unders for hockey. So if you end up with a penalty that shouldn't be called that leads to a power play goal that changes one of those things or, you know, a penalty that should be called and isn't and it, a chance at a power play goal that doesn't happen. Like there's a whole lot that can get swung on those things. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, hopefully something improves there. I mean, it won't, it, it won't, but it yeah. won't stop me from hoping that maybe one day it will. I just hope that like, Referee can at least get better for player safety. Like that's been like the worst yes. thing I from yeah. feel like this year. Like player safety has been like such a joke. Like guys are getting headshotted all the time. Like Andre Svechnikov takes like seventeen thousand headshots a game <laughs> if he's playing like Florida or Nashville. And it's like the the refs just like watch him. They're like, oh, he's a young guy. Shake it off, bud. Get out there. And then they're like, oh, actually, but you when you stood up, you kind of like used your hand on that guy's like skate. So we're gonna two minutes for you, bud. And like, cross checking. Oh like how God, many? How many? They miss cross check. Like cross checking to me is one of the number one plays that you should be cracking down on calling a penalty. I mean that's the every reason single Trocek time. Is out. It's, yeah, it's it's such a date. Yeah, exactly. Like he he got and it's such a and I don't think it was called, was it? No, the, no, no, it was, it was not. No, it, it was wasn't. Not yeah, it's it's that like that's such a dangerous play. Like. You are going to obviously Trojek did like guys are going to get hurt when that stuff is going on and when it's more prevalent because guys know 
like players know they know how things are they know they can get away with some of this stuff or they're more likely to get away with some of this stuff and that you that's like you said ryan that's a safety issue you can't have that yeah, it's crazy because you'll see guys like break their stick on someone's chest and then like the ref like will actually call it for once and they'll be like they'll throw their hands up and they'll be like, what did I do? What did I do? Which obviously goes to show they don't expect to get called on a lot of these things because they like it, it gets let go so often that they're like, why are you calling it now? I game managers have been out of control this 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 season, especially every season. But I feel like this season especially has been put under the microscope. Yeah, and we we're referring to yeah. referees as game managers. Alex Smith has not made a crossover into the hockey. Damn it! I wanted that joke. What the Alex Smith? Yes, joke? I I was waiting for fifteen minutes to make that joke. Hey, I'm a, I was, I, Alex Smith played for my. You deserve NFL the team. joke. I'm entitled to you that. You deserve joke. the joke. I I spent fifteen minutes just trying to think of which quarterback I wanted to use. And I chose Alex Smith like five minutes ago. And I was literally like, you you got in just before I did. I'm okay, so well, upset. I'm glad. This I, is I the thought follow-up. there was like something wrong. Like they're recording. Like we weren't recording this no, whole time or no. like. Something way more serious happened. I didn't yeah. get the joke. <laughs> this is um, the dissolution of the Kane's Country podcast. There, We're never doing this again. Andrew yeah, and Brett are splitting. Look, I watched Friendship Alex over. Smith every week. For, no, you deserve the joke. Like six, four or five years, I don't remember what, but and it's actually funny because Alex Smith, like, doesn't deserve to be called a game manager. I don't think, but people obviously oh, here we go getting on his getting on his box. <laughs> Let's hear it, Chiefs Nation. If we're hiring game managers, Alex Smith is a is a, available. This and is the true. NHL can replace Tim Peel with Alex Smith if they really wanted to. Probably wouldn't be any worse. He, no, I, no, no way he could be worse. He's probably uh, no. He's probably going to Jacksonville to be uh, Trevor Lawrence's mentor. Is that really gonna happen? I've heard it's a possibility because him and Urban Meyer were together at oh, Utah, yeah. and like that's a good fit for like mentoring a young quarterback. So it's it's possible. So what's going on with Gardner Minshew? Uh, he's uh, he's got a just, cool mustache. Uh, he does. There. No. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if like somebody trades like a late round pick for him. Like he he's played decent. He could go to the Bears and ch- challenge Andy Dalton for QB one, even though the Twitter account already confirmed it. He's he's QB one. Dalton's QB one. That's not changing. <laughs> That's, they might not have gotten Russell Wilson, but they've got their they've got QB one. I think that's all we got for this week. Where can the fine people listening to this podcast find you guys on Twitter, Andrew? Uh, Twitter only Twitter. At a s c h n i t t five three. And Ryan. At r y a n h e n k e l underscore. You can follow me at Brett Finger on Twitter. You can follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country on Twitter. On Instagram, you can follow Kane's Country at Kane's Country Picks, P-I-X. Uh, go read the site, canescountry.com. Follow slash subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever. Please leave a review, rate it, all that stuff. Uh, we greatly appreciate that. It really helps us out. We will talk to you next week. And we won't be talking about any games against the Columbus Blue Jackets. It'll be great. I'm very excited to not talk about the Blue Jackets again for several months. Talk to you then. Be well. Enjoy the hockey. Goodbye.